stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the Welcome to episode 427 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. And from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'm Carlos Welch. And we will be joined today by Pamela Balsano, who I believe was in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And uh, that bargled pronunciation there is a good preview (laughs) of what's to come as I attempt to pronounce the name of various South American countries during this conversation, uh, sometimes (laughs) with a Spanish accent, sometimes without. So I apologize for that. But I think otherwise, it was a fantastic interview. It was a great interview. And like, I didn't know much about her coming into the interview. Um, I did a little bit of research, but I was happy to find out a lot more after we talked to her. Yeah, and I want to say a little bit about how how this interview um, came to be, which is that I got an email, I believe it was actually on New Year's Day, or at least I responded to it on on New Year's Day. It was about the coming year on on the podcast from a woman named Alencia, which hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. And she said, I love the podcast and what you and Carlos did in 2023 to spotlight the lesser known people in poker. Where are the Latinas? I am an associate vice president at AT AT&T and a passionate poker player. I am also a Latina and had both of my children while I was in college. I focus on poker during my holiday break and cash three times in the last week. I often wonder what life would be like if I could have pursued poker versus the responsibility of raising my kids. I think there is a huge need for Latinas to feel more welcome in poker. We grew up in a very male-dominated environment. Machismo is a very real thing for Latinas. Let me know how I can help. Some stories still need to be heard. Uh, so I think this is in part a reference to um, you know our making a, a particular push to have more black women or have any black women on the show right? <laughs> in uh, right. in in 2023. And I think I mean from my perspective, and I, and I believe you see it the same way that that was a, a fantastic success. I think both from from the perspective of just wanting to promote diversity in general, but I also think it led to. Well, I guess it led to a lot for you, but um, it led to uh, some of our, like the very best interviews that we've ever done. So and I know that we talked about this. I think it was in the introduction to um, one of our interviews with Caitlin's husband, Justin Arnwine, about, um, you know, the, the, the sometimes this held up as that there's like some some tension between diversity and like merit that you're like, you're, you're lowering your standards to bring black women on the show. It's like, no, very much the opposite. The lowering the standards is often, uh, I, I hope it's okay to, to use this as, a, as an example. I don't really think of this as like lowering the standards, but like the last episode that we did with, with Matt Matris, it was a great episode, um, but it was a very easy episode to book. Like he approached me, he was like, yeah, I have this this new book that I wrote, and it'd be good to talk to you guys again. And and you know we're, ha- we're happy to talk to him. But like that's a very easy interview to to book. And there's a lot that I I like about Matt. But like he's been on the show before. We're not pushing the envelope when we have Matt Matris on on the show. Right. Um. And 
you know, so a lot of the episodes that we did do with with Black Woman, or you know, now this one that we did with with Pamela, took a little bit more work to book. So it was it was more effort. But I think that so like the white men are the low hanging fruit in poker. Like those are the ones that are, that are kind of easy to get. And like we have to do or not have to, but you know, we're trying to do thirty plus episodes a year. So like sometimes you know I am just getting people who are who are easy to get. But I think that like a lot of the really standout episodes have been people with different perspectives, not necessarily, you know, racial or, or gender perspective, but like with very different perspectives on the poker world where it has been more effort to book them, but also that it led to really good results and, and really good interviews. Yeah, I agree with that. And a great, great example of the good things that came from this is that Justin gets to be referred to as Caitlin's husband. Like, I feel like <laughs> that's going to put a smile on his face. <laughs> Because that shows how Caitlin went from this, you know, unknown quantity in poker to someone who, whose name you may think of before you think of her husband. Like, like me personally, I would love to be, you know, referred to as Gloria's boyfriend <laughs> and Gloria's husband one day. And so, like, that shows that we did our job, which was to put a spotlight on these women in poker to the point where you know, Caitlin's, you know, bouncing all over the country, playing in different casinos and like, you know, um, highlighting the events that she plays. Lori's been out um, crushing um, at Resorts World. And like, it feels, feels like every time they send out a winner's pick, you know, I see her face. And so like just seeing these women's faces more often in the poker media, that's what the goal was. Because if we see, if if people like them see uh, examples more, then they can see themselves doing the same thing. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to um, do that with um, Pamela as well and have more people like Alencia see examples of someone like her in the poker media. Yeah. And part of where I'm going with this is to uh, ask for some help from the audience, because the, the truth was, I mean, at least when, when we had the conversation about Black women in poker. Like, I think between the two of us, we could at least name a few. Like, I truly could not think of a single Latin American woman, whether either, you know, in, in South America or like of South American descent in the United States, um, who was like a really prominent poker player. Uh, you you named one that then I was like, oh, yeah, I have, I have heard of her. But like, I, I really do not have or did not have much. I still don't have much insight into this. And I did talk to uh, Alencia, who wrote that email to us a little bit about this. And one of the things that she suggested was, well, you know, you have had some South American uh, men and also, you know, men of South American descent uh, who are now in the United States uh, on the show. So, like, maybe reach out to them and, and see if they know people. Uh, so, Pamela actually came to our attention thanks to um, Santiago, Santiago uh, who was our episode on, um, no, who was our guest <laughs> on episode 357. Uh, and so, he is also from Argentina and he was able to. Um, Tell us about Pamela, who I think is actually not a particularly low. She's just like high profile in the Spanish speaking poker world and was not particularly known. To, I, I don't think she's like a diamond in the rough. Like, I think she's a pretty well known um, <laughs> uh, quantity, just just not as so much to the English speaking poker world. But she seems like a, a pretty prominent YouTuber and uh, Twitch streamer 
I think she's done some, she, she's sponsored by Gigi Poker. She, I think, has done some like hosting and, and commentary on Spanish language events. And before that, she was doing uh, photography and, and media stuff for the, the Spanish language poker world. So she's new to us. I don't think she's new per se. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. But it's important. I think it's still important because that was the same thing with people like Gloria. Like Gloria wasn't new to poker. She had been playing for a decade. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be able to introduce these people who have been doing the work and making what they should have been making a name for themselves in poker because of the work they were done, that, that they were doing. But they did their job and poker media didn't do their half of the job because in order to make your name, you need both sides. And so Pamela had been doing that in Argentina. And, and to your point, she had been getting the recognition and the media in the Spanish speaking world, but not so much in, in the U.S. And I will also throw out the name of the one Latina um, poker player I knew uh, was Maria uh, Lampro. Wheels. I'm pretty sure I'm butchering her last name, but I first became aware of her when I was watching, I think it was PCA, like she won some big PCA tournament like years ago, and she got a lot of coverage there. What I remember about it is, <laughs> uh, is her being sick. It's like she was like, you know, doing a lot of sneezing and coughing and just like crushing you know on her worst day she was still able to crush and it reminded me that some people might know of um michael jordan's flu game where he showed up with the flu and he still kicked everybody's ass and so i kind of thought that way when i saw her playing and although i saw her play that one tournament and i know she's a, a crusher overall i don't know her story and so uh, maybe she's done interviews somewhere else, but if not, I'd love to one day get an opportunity to um, hear her story and share it with the audience. Yeah, we're working on it. Um, but uh, <laughs> so I, I would love suggestions from uh, listeners if there's people that you're aware of, uh, you know, I guess having in mind that this this particular focus of looking for uh, Latina women, I mean, we're still happy to have more more Black women on the show, and I mean, honestly, anyone who you think is just a, a perspective that has not been heard in in the poker world or has not got as much attention as it deserves to get uh, as they deserve to get in the the poker world, um, we would greatly appreciate your recommendations there. And you know, I I appreciate the sort of um, kick in the pants is, is putting it much too. She was very kind about it, but you know. Yeah. I, I, it, it's useful to because this is the sort of thing that I, I can sort of say in theory, like, oh yes, it's it's important to me to have like different types of people on on the show. But like when push comes to shove, the easier thing to do is to like just take the low hanging fruit and like the easy guests to book. So it is useful to me to sort of have the extra impetus of someone saying like, hey, this is really important to me, and you should you should do this, and even a, you know willingness to help a little bit. Um, so yeah, thank thank you to her, and thank you to anyone who has other suggestions for uh, ways that we can have more diverse uh, viewpoints on the show, whatever, uh, you know, of, of, of various stripes. Yeah. When we talked to Lori, I think one of the things that was said, and maybe in the Justin interview as well, is that these are like literal blind spots. It's not that people are excluded maliciously. It's just that you don't know, and you don't even think of it until someone mentions it like Alencia did. And so when that gets brought to our attention, then it's our job to go out and seek and, and seek these people out uh, where 
it's just harder to do that when you have the blind spot where you're like, you, you're thinking more so about the people that you're most likely to be around. And so me personally, I don't uh, interact with very many Latinas on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's kind of good to, like you said, Andrew, get that gentle kick in the pants to uh, kind of remove that blind spot. Yeah, I'll, I'll also say in terms of blind spots, um, one of the people who I, I contacted about this uh, said that he actually didn't like the term Latina or, or was, was kind of um, had some concerns around that it, it's a term with, with some sort of colonial uh, origins mm. and it's just kind of lumping together a lot of very different um, people, uh, different types of people from different parts of the world. As we said, some of them um, still in South America, some just like South American heritage in the United States. Uh, so, I mean, that was the term that Alencia used when she contacted us. And I believe it was a term, or at least Pamela talked about Latin America uh, when when she was on the show. So, you know, I, I've followed their uh, nomenclature in, in this context, but I will put out there at least one person shared that concern with me. Um, and that is uh, on my radar. And, you know, maybe I'll uh, learn more about that and about people's preferences uh, if we are able to have more of these uh, interviews. Yeah, that's good to know. I'm happy to hear that. Like, that's why I specifically didn't use the term Hispanic um, because of the uh, colonial history, but I didn't even think of the same thing uh, with uh, Latina. So yeah, that's very good information to have. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, but I, I mean, maybe you just, maybe the problem is trying to say this, but it just feels very wordy to say like, well, you know, uh, women or non-men of Latin American descent, possibly, or not, not, not Latin American, South American descent, possibly still living in South America or the United States, but not just <laughs> South America, because also Mexico and Q, Mexico and Cuba and the Dominican Republic yeah. and, you know, it's, like. It's, it's, it gets wordy, but they'll, they'll, they'll lead us in the right direction. They'll, they'll. They'll, they'll let us know the right nomenclature. That's right. Um, so yes, if, if people have uh, suggested, even if it's just, you know, if, if you're able to put us in touch with somebody, that's great. But even if it's just a name or, some, you know, just any kind of lead that I can try to follow up on, um, I, I would like to you know, put in put in that work and hopefully we'll, you know, see see the, the same kinds of great interviews well, like that we got from Pamela and uh, like we got from uh, so many Black women last year. Yes. Uh, strategy segment. Brought to us by GTO Wizard, and this question comes from Mark, who played this hand in uh, a 5-10-20 game. Effective stacks are 3,500. Um, a very capable tag, possibly a pro, opens in early position to $50. This, again, is a 5-10-20 game, so it's a 2.5x open. Early position opens to 50. Two very loose players, uh, one with a $1,500 stack, one with a $2,500 stack call. And our hero is in the big blind with three deuce of hearts. Uh, and he says, uh, this brings up an interesting issue that I don't hear discussed often enough, either by you guys or by Doug Polk, and certainly not by all the solver wizards. In a game like this, uh, I like taking long shot hands that could reap me 50 to one or even 35 to one, uh, thinking about a rule that I guess he got from uh, probably more of a guideline than a rule that he got from Bart Hansen um, of looking for uh, 15 to one implied odds with pocket pairs, 25 to one implied odds with pseudo connectors, 35 to one implied odds with uh, one gappers. So I think the kind of two questions here is like, should this be a call with three do suited? And then is this a good way of of thinking about it? This this sort of um, long shot, like I'll call with this bad hand. And then if I do happen to make a strong hand, I can win some really big pot. It's funny that we both were kind of leading towards the same way, I think. Like I was going to, 
I was going to take something I learned from you, which is I really like the humility of this, which is his exact words here. In a game like this, I do like taking long shot hands. So if you like it and it's your money, do what you will. <laughs> but it's our job to tell you whether or not we think it's profitable. And I don't think it's profitable because a couple of reasons. One, and it seems like he, he at least understands this point that I'm about to make, where I didn't understand this point back in the day. Three do suited isn't a suited connector in the way, same way something like eight, seven suited is. Because of course, like the, the, the cards are suited and they're connected, but eight, seven is just a much better hand to do three because it makes more straights. So the smaller your cards, the fewer straights they can make. And so they're like, like not all suited connectors are, are created equal. And, I, and it seems like he understands that because he's using um, Hansen's rule of 25 to one with suited connectors. But with this hand, he's going with 51. So he's taking into account that this hand is not as good as most suited connectors. But even beyond that, what I would say is if you make a flush with deuce three suited in a very deep stack cash game and somebody wants to get all the money in, you're probably not good. So the suitedness, the suitedness of this hand, I don't think is going to help you much in terms of like, like it feels like he wants to kind of like chase the draw with it. And I don't feel like most suited hands, especially ones like this one, aren't like good for chasing draws. To, to, to use another thing I got from you is that draws are premium bluffing hands. They're not made hands waiting to happen. So if, it kind of feels like he's trying to make a made hand out of this as opposed to using it to bluff. The downside of that is kind of what I said, is even if you make the made hand, and somebody wants to put a lot of money in, you're probably still not good. And so I would say the value of this hand is more so in its ability to make a straight than its ability to make a flush. And as I just said, it's going to make fewer straights. So I personally would not play this hand, but I do want to you know, respect Mark's decision. If he understands the reasons why I wouldn't want to play it, and he says, yeah, I understand all that, but I really want to play it, then that's okay too. Yeah, I, I suspect that this is a very slightly money losing call. You are losing less money probably than if you, you know, took this fifty dollars and bet it on black at the roulette table or something. So yes. like <laughs> if you enjoy gambling, I don't think you're giving up a lot to like gamble in this situation. Um, but I I, I do think it's it, you are gambling against the odds with this exact hand. And part of the thing, like I, I really don't like these rules of um just these these ratios, and you mentioned some some of the problems with them. So, I mean, part of it is like you can't assume that you're going to win the stacks just because you make the hand. Making the hand is hard to do with three two suited, as you said. You know, you don't make a lot of straights. Um, I mean, there's other stuff you can make with three two suited, but like making bottom two pair isn't that great. Um, like especially if all the money goes in, you're not that big of a favorite. You're like you get it all in against an overpair, you're not that big of a favorite with bottom two. Like you lose that somewhat often. You know, making trips, you have a bad kicker. Making if their flush is low, the straight is often not not the nuts. So and, and particularly in a four way pot, that is a problem where even when you make the hand, um, you you'll often win the pot. Like it's not that you it's not that you 
make flushes and then lose very often. It's just that you don't win big pots after you make a flush. The idea of just like, well, it's a long shot, but I'll get paid really big if I make it. I don't think that's not that's necessarily the case. You know, especially in a four-way pot, people can see that there's a flush on the board. And I mean, it sounds like two of these people are really loose. So you know, maybe your odds are better against them. But then like if they're loose players, they're also less likely to make a strong second best hand that could pay you off. Like even if they're the type who will just never fold top pair, loose players don't make top pair that often because they play a lot of unpaired hands. And like it's hard to it's hard to flop top pair. So I think there's a lot of um kind of the really a lot has to go right. It's not just about you making a strong hand. A lot has to go right besides you making the strong hand before you win the the big pot. And you know, this is different than like so this this would be a very money losing call if you were on the button. Like if, yes. if you weren't closing the action, you weren't getting the discount from having posted the big blind. This is a fairly small raise. So the big blind is a is a big chunk of it. Like if this isn't open to $80, calling here would be a significant mistake. The only reason this is even close is because it's a small raise and you're closing the action from the big blind. Um, this kind of hand does play well multi-way. Like most suited hands are good calls here. Three do suited just happens to be the very worst one, or like maybe the second worst behind four two. Like you you can call this kind of hand here hands that with potential to make straights and or flushes uh but two three is just a particularly bad version of it um as you said carlos what you really want to do when you make a draw is not just like check and call and hope that you then you know hit the straight or the flush on the turn you'd like to be able to play it aggressively that's harder to do in a four-way pot it's harder to win without showdown so yeah the 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 playability of these hands is pretty poor despite the fact that like the equity is okay the price is good the playability is actually pretty bad yeah the the last thing i want to say on this pre-flop action is what you said about if you're going to struggle to win a big pot after you make your flush then the just making the flush and, and just taking down what's out there um, the reason that's bad is because that's not enough to make up for all the times you miss. That's right. And so that's a very important. That's why, you know, we have the rule that you do like, which is, you know, 10 to 1 implied odds on a set. Because with a set, generally, and this is more so like in tournaments. So I don't know if you make a distinction between tournaments and cash or that, because there's like certain environments, like when the SPR is lower, this, a set is just a bigger hand than it could be like in a deep stack cash game so if you're in a tournament where stacks are more shallow and you're like in pretty good position and you're up against a strong player with a pretty strong range 10 to 1 is a pretty good rule with the set because generally if you up against a strong range and you hit it you can just get it all, all in right there and it's pretty easy to make up for all the times you miss uh if you got minimum 10 to 1 preferably even more than that but in this case the flush is way more visible than the set would be. And so it's harder to get implied odds and you're going to hit a set way more often than you're going to flop a flush with deuce three suited. And so if you're not going to get more money after you flop the flush, then you got to get enough from what's already in the pot when you flop the flush to make up for all the times you miss. And that's just going to be very hard to do getting these sort of odds. Yeah, so there was that. And then, oh, the other thing is this. What I learned when I used to battle with Poker Snowy is that, like you said, Andrew, calling with this preflop could be a very small mistake. And those were like, you know, small mistakes I made often. And I would kind of just hand wave it away. It's, oh, it's not that bad, Snowy. But then it would, you know, grade my postflop mistakes. And they were horrible. 
<laughs> and so basically, if you make a small pre-flop mistake, but it sets you up to make big post-flop mistakes, then you don't even want to go down that road in the first place. And a, a good example of that would be making a flush with this hand and thinking you have the nuts and just pinning off too much post-flop. So you got to be very careful about how you play post-flop in these situations if you're going to take this flyer of a you know slightly negative BDB call in the first place. Well, to that point, Mark does call, and the flop is queen nine seven all hearts. So Mark hasn't flopped, has in fact flopped the nut low flush with a block to the second no second nut low flush, holding deuce three of hearts on a queen nine seven all hearts board. Uh, he starts with a check, which I think is correct, being out of position to this many people. Mm -hmm. The original razor c bets seventy five into I guess a pot of around two hundred. The button calls, and now the action is back on to Mark. Um, I do think we want to re-raise here, but we're already kind of in that territory of like, we've got one person betting into three players. Someone else has called. It's going to look a lot like we have a flush when we re-raise here. <laughs> and that's not the end of the world, because again, like you said, like sometimes the best you can do is just take it down. So we are very likely to win this pot, but it is going to be kind of hard to put more money in. Uh, if we're getting called here, we're often getting card called by hands that are drawing to something better. That might be like you know the Ace of Hearts. It might be a set or two pair. And then, of course, there is the risk that we're going to run into a, a better made flush. But I do think we're getting some protection value out of this. Like we might cause some lower hearts to fold, um, cause some people with like backdoor full house draws to, to to fold um we'll get called by some hands that we are ahead of you know we are making money getting called by the ace of hearts or those two pairs or whatever i do think there's value in raising here but and i think the way you put it earlier we we're talking about the pre-flop call was very good which is it's just not good enough for this being you know it's very hard to flop a flush we finally did it and now the payoff is like oh i hope we win it like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what you don't want. You don't want to chase something, and then when you get it, still feel squeamish. Yeah. Um, okay, so Mark raises to 275, which is good. And now the original Razor, three bets, 700. The button folds, and we're back around to Mark. And it's you know maybe relevant to say here, and this, this is how uh, Mark describes himself, that... Um, Mark says... Uh, as an older player with a tight image, at minimum up against a set with the player that has a highly likely that's highly likely to bet turn, which I'm not calling, especially if he fires on either a turn that pairs the board or another heart. Even though I recognize that he could be betting with the worst hand, so I guess you, you like he he recognizes that he's an older player with a tight image. So just close your eyes and imagine an older player with a tight image. And they're raising on this board. And then you decide, ah, I want to re-raise that. Yeah, it is. It's very scary. Um, Mark does actually fold here, which I think is correct. Uh, the, yes. As he points out, it's like you could already be behind your hand. You're also very far from showdown. You're still going to have to play turns and rivers. Your hand is not getting any stronger than it currently is. The board could get even worse for you. You're just going to have more tough decisions. So I think that this fold is good. And being willing and able to make this fold makes the pre-flop call less bad but this is also kind of the demonstration of why the preflop call isn't that great because again even when you make the hand then you're kind of i mean on the one hand you're counting like oh well you know 35 to 1 if i make the hand but then when you actually make the hand you're like well i'm an old guy and i have a tight image and so people are gonna respect me when i raise like that's 
that's the opposite of implied odds. That's like, yes. it's hard for me to get paid off when, when I make big hands. I mean, I guess the flip side of that is like, maybe your bluffs are a little bit more successful, but bluffing is just very hard to do in, in a four-way pot because it's not so much about your image of like, do people believe you? It's just like in a four-way pot, there's a pretty good chance someone has something good enough that they don't care about whether they believe you. They're just like, yeah, exactly. I believe that you like your hand and I have the nuts. So let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a very good fault. I think it, I mean, truly a, a fantastic fault. Like I think being able to, to flop a flush, to raise, and then to reevaluate what your hand is worth when your opponent, to go from thinking like, oh, I have a great hand, let's put some money in. And then to reevaluate that, to not feel like you need to see more cards or, you know, call and reevaluate. There's nothing to reevaluate. You're not going to get any new information <laughs> when, when more cards come down. Um, this is an extremely strong three bet. There is a chance that it's a bluff, but like, Okay, it's correct to get bluffed sometimes. Uh, I mean, I think this this is a, a fantastic, very disciplined fold, and I would just follow the string backwards to if you have to fold this, maybe the preflop call wasn't that great to begin with. That's exactly right, and kudos to Mark for being able to even find this fold because a lot of people, like you said, Andrew, will say to themselves, "Well, I need to at least see one more." Uh, see the turn to reevaluate, or they'll say something like, "Oh, I didn't come all the way to Vegas to fold flushes," uh, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. So, like the discipline to be able to a make the raise in the first place, which is the right play, and then to follow that up with the fold, tells me that Mark is going to play this post flop better than most people. But even that's not enough to overcome how bad uh, this hand is, even in the best situations. That's right. Thank you, Mark, for writing. Thank you. Uh, I started to, I started to close it off like I was thinking Poker Daily. Uh, well, thank you. We do appreciate you all listening and supporting us here as well. And uh, we hope that you will enjoy our interview with Pamela Balsano. So first off, you're coming to us right now from Buenos Aires? Yes, Buenos Aires, Argentina. And that's where you're from originally? Yes. So what is what is it like growing up there? Like what's what's your childhood look like? Did you did you grow up playing games? Yes. Uh actually I grew I grew up in many different places because uh we moved a lot when I was a child with my family. So I lived one year in uh in I lived three years in Buenos Aires, then I lived in the middle of the country, in a province close to the Andes, close to uh, Chile. And then uh, we moved to Spain for one year. So I was always traveling. It was because of my 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 parents' uh, job. So uh, then I went back to Buenos Aires and at 18, I started to travel again a lot. So I would say that it's not like a normal childhood in Buenos Aires, okay. <laughs> but anyway, of course, it's it's my place. And yes, uh, to the, the question about playing games, yes, because my brother he plays, uh, he used to play chess when he was a child, so he tried to teach me. Tried because it was just one class, and I, I was not like like him with the same patience for for chess. And uh, he tried to teach, teach me any game he used to play. He loved games, and of course, the same with poker lately. So it, was, it was just the two of you, siblings? Yes, we are, we are just two. 
yeah, I had the same experience as an older sibling trying to get my younger brother to play games with me that he was maybe not as interested in as I was. <laughs> yeah, that happened. But mainly with chess. Then or with other games, I was quite interested. I like games, not as much as I, as he do, he does. Did you play uh, card games? Uh, yeah, besides poker. Yeah, like before you learned about poker, were there other card games that you grew up playing? Uh, we, you had, with the other deck, uh, we have uh, Cartas Españolas, the, 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 the Spanish deck. Uh, we I remember they, play... have, they have a different letter for the jack. I, I forget what it is, but it's uh, confusing for Americans when we play in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, 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 don't have, they don't use the letters. It's just numbers. Okay. And yeah, and, and, and we just, uh, it's a different deck. So we, you use that for, of course, different games. So all the games in Argentina... Uh, are with those uh, those cards actually uh, the the poker deck uh, like the, the the French deck is not very normal just for poker and a couple of other things. So I used to play a game called Tinchon. It's a game uh, very very like Spanish Latin American, and it's like about making like uh, straights and uh, trips and those kind of things like the common one. And then another one, very, very easy, called Casita Robada, what means still house. <laughs> but <laughs> doesn't make sense. But it's also a, a, a really like easy game to play with, with kids. So I remember about those, but then not many other games. And it was your brother who introduced you to poker? Yes, he was the one. Uh, well, he's seven years older. So I remember I was like 12 years and he was starting to, to, to learn the rules and start to play with, with uh, friends. And one day, yeah, he taught me the rules. And I was, I mean, I was a child. And I remember I, I, I understood like quickly because the rules, of course, are not like super hard mm -hmm. of course it's super hard to to learn how to play well then but yeah you we used to play together like heads ups and i remember that he used to pick me up from my um uh, it was uh, elementary at that time yeah like lights last year of elementary telling me hands <laughs> like i played this <laughs> hand what do you think and i was like just listening and trying to of course like give him my opinion like my <laughs> my idea about the, the hand but of course i was like super new and super amateur i guess that's a decent deal for you if you get a ride home from school and you just have to listen to bad beat stories <laughs> exactly that happened that happened to me and it was very young so i remember uh poker hands since i was a child so for me it's like quite a lot now because it's too many years all the same but very funny of course was that Texas Hold'em that he was playing? Yes, always, always Texas. And he always played uh, MTTs. Mm -hmm. So nothing uh, very, like nothing related with cash, actually. If I understand correctly, you're, you started more on the content creation side. Yeah. I, I know you're streaming poker now. But was that, I mean, were you still a child when you were doing that? Uh, when he started to, to create content. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, um, my brother taught me how to play. Then uh, I did my high school. I pl like playing with him and like knowing about the game and enjoying with mainly with uh, his friends, uh, but not involved, really involved besides like uh, the, the friends part. And then uh, when I turned 18, I um, I loved 
taking pictures. I really liked photography. So I started as a photographer in the focal world. And that's how I started with content. So at the very, very beginning, no, I was just uh, I was just listening for about these stories and, and, and looking at them playing. Oh, but 18 is pretty young. I mean, was that, did you really want to work in the poker space or was that just, you wanted to be a photographer and you had the in with, with poker? I really liked poker from the very beginning and I found all the, like the, the poker world, the poker industry very interesting because of my brother. He was like, he started to travel a lot, uh, very young. I mean, at, I think his first trip was at like, I don't know, maybe 19, 20 years old, because he started to qualify online to poker tournaments. So I looked at it, had him like uh, someone that I really wanted to like follow because he was doing what he loved and at the same time traveling a lot and meeting new people, uh, being very young. So it was like a mix between, uh, yeah, I liked the the industry, I uh, liked poker, but also I was more like involved with art and I really liked uh, po uh, photography and I wanted to travel. So that's why, uh, I mean, po poker media was perfect for me. So it was like a mix between things. And yeah, I, I mean, I started just uh, photograph as a photographer covering events. I read that the first time you went into a casino, it was to uh, photograph poker players. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the same year I turned 18, like one month later. That's unusual because most people, when they go into a casino for the first time, is to lose money, and you are actually going <laughs> to make money. So that that's unusual. And what is it about poker players that uh, makes you want to use your love of photography and poker as opposed to like other forms of like you know most people? I think they like bird watching and taking pictures of birds and nature. Like, what is it about poker players that makes them like? worthy of being photographed oh well it's super different uh of course and it's uh i think it's amazing if you want to learn the about like how to take pictures like i don't want uh, and if you want to become a better photographer because you have to take pictures at uh, like live i mean the, the coverage is live so you have to be doing your work very fast and all, all the time i mean the tournament is like going on and you have different stages and you have to photograph different stages so you are always like running <laughs> it's quite stressful maybe <laughs> but it, it's a very good way to learn because you have to like take take a good picture or take a picture like at the, at the, at a certain time for example the bubble that's a really common one then you have to go to your computer download the picture edit the picture upload the picture to the blog and then go on with other things or maybe uh yeah eliminations or what is happening or like final tables besides that also it's amazing because People think they don't do anything when they play. Maybe like super, super high stakes players, of course, they're like robots. It's it's hard to like take a picture where they are, I don't know, like doing something else with their faces. But in general, there's always a moment where they are showing like something with their, their faces or maybe the body. So it's very fun to be there and try to capture that. Yeah, I can imagine like I, I keep thinking about you know nature photographers like they're trying to capture like some rare bird or something and i guess there's like rare smiles on some of these like top level players faces <laughs> as, just as elusive as like you know some bird that's near extinction 
<laughs> it's quite similar, actually, yeah, to nature, like to nature photography, because you're all there, like waiting, waiting, waiting for the lion. You know, it's quite similar, very fun. Yeah, you spend your whole life trying to get that picture of Phil Ivy smiling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone probably. Yeah. Was it uh, you started on the Latin American poker tour, or just in in Latin America doing the photography? Yes, I always work here in the region, mainly because of probably the language. And uh, yeah, I started in the in the, in the circuit that it's still uh, going on, but I don't know if it's the same as like years ago because I, I, I'm not going anymore. But it's a circuit just in Argentina called Circuito Argentino de Poker. And so I, tra I travel a lot through the country, like the different provinces the first year and then uh, through Latin America with another circuit. At uh, that time, it was the Latin American Poker Tour. Poker stars were very big. And yeah, I traveled a lot through this Latin America. And then I started to go to WSOP Vegas, of course. So mainly that was like the only place like outside Latin America where I, I used to work. Besides Buenos Aires, where are the hotspots for, for poker in South America? Like where, where is it most popular? Well, actually, Brazil, it's amazing. It's mm -hmm. the biggest market. It's one of the biggest markets of the world with poker. And they are amazing. They, they, they do, I think, by my view, the best tournaments. I mean, they have a very good organization. The dealers are amazing. They, they always thinking about, like, how to promote it in a very, like, fun way. The marketing is very good. Of course, they have very good uh, poker players. So, yeah, I, I really like them. And, yeah, they are one of the best. How about Peru or Chile? Is, is there, uh, have you traveled there for poker? Yeah, I travel mainly for um, like circuits, like big circuits of uh, poker sites, like the, the Latin America Poker Tour and like a few others. But uh, I know in Peru they have uh, tournaments going on, but nothing like very big as it as it is in in Brazil. Brazil is like the only place in Latin America that it's well known for poker. Mm -hmm. So if you want to play poker, everyone is going to say go to Brazil because you will you will find lots of uh, different tournaments, uh, different stakes also, and a lot of people playing, of course. What do you think is the difference uh, why Brazil has so much larger of a poker presence than um, some of the other countries? Well, they don't have the the the, the law uh, that it doesn't allow uh, casinos, mm. so they they don't. I mean, they probably they gamble in other ways, <laughs> but uh, they don't have uh, the physical casinos. Maybe that helps poker to grow because people uh, start they, they they like to play and they decide to play a strategy game that is much better, of course, because you can make money. And uh, I think that's uh, something that uh, it's important to think about it and then uh it grew a lot lately like the last probably i don't know uh mainly the, the last seven years something like that because they have uh teams have poker teams and yes. they they have something amazing it's like uh, this the society it's quite close and as poker players they are quite close and they really like to share with uh, other people like their, their their knowledge and they create all the time like groups for like schools of poker like backing like teams like mm -hmm. to play and 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 play for a backer and 
Yeah, I think that's also really important because if I, I that's a big difference, for example, with Argentina. I think that the, the society here is not as close, at, at least the, the industry, and talking about the industry and the, the poker world. Uh, we are not very, <laughs> I mean, we are friends, friendly, but they are more, they are just, the, the main thing for them is to grow as a community. Mm. And that helps a lot, for sure, for, for, the, for the poker world. Do you think of that as like a larger cultural difference? Like that that's just a way that Brazil is different from Argentina in general? Or is that like a poker specific thing? I think we are quite similar. I mean, in Latin America, we have a similar ways to, um, uh, for example, yeah, to communicate with other people. Uh, we, we are quite similar as like per our personalities. We have lots of things in common. But then Brazil... We, we share with Brazil the passion there, of course, because of football. They are more, maybe uh, more happy, or like <laughs> smiley at least than us. They're very happy all the time, uh, like extremely happy. And then maybe more warm people. We are we are also, I mean, all Latin American people is really warm. But in, in, sorry, in Spain, I was about to say, in Brazil, it's, yeah, it's more than any other place probably maybe related with the weather and mainly mainly that i would say but then we we share we share a couple of things so how how did you go from doing um photography to the uh, the youtube videos that you were doing well i started to travel uh this was almost 10 years ago incredible but yes and uh yeah i started to travel to take pictures and i realized that there were like just one way to like show poker to the world and like communicate poker. And it was uh, through the coverage, like live vlogs and news sites. So uh, it was really hard to find different content besides that, at least in, in Spanish, of course, because I know in English you have like much more, uh, I mean, history and much more like content creators like back in time. But in, 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 in like in the Spanish speaking audience was not like common to find. So that's why I thought it was a good idea to show poker in a, in a like different way, like in a fresh way, more like more easy way than a live vlog because if you if you enter to a poker news site it's mainly like the, the communication that they do it's mainly for poker players because it's like uh yeah hands and all the language like the poker language and i remember like the the, the common uh situation was like for example my mom or my dad wanted to follow my brother in a, in a live poker tournament without understanding anything. Mm. And it was quite hard to, to explain what was happening really in the tournament because the tournaments are really friendly and are places with light <laughs> where nothing is like, uh, as they think maybe or some of them, but like related more with movies or like those kind of things uh, like Hollywood. So that's why I thought it was a good idea to show the real part of poker uh, in a more like, you know, in a, yeah, in a relaxed way. So that's why I created my YouTube channel to show the reality of poker and talk to the people in a like ABC language. Was there also an, an economic calculation there, like recognizing that there was not a lot of this content specifically in Spanish and that that might be something that you could provide, that there was not as much like competition there? Exactly. Also that, I mean, my 
I think I, I, I did the same all my years like working and it was all the time trying to think about a different idea or like doing something in a different way and try not to have like competition. So in that way, it's easier to to make money because it's like if you are the only one, maybe someone is going to be interested. So I think it was a very good idea, of, of course, for, for sponsors like uh, poker sites, like live or online, uh, because it was a, a very good way to advertise besides the, the main thing that everyone have and they are not going to get rid of because it's important to have our poker sites. But yeah, my idea was like, what if I create something where I can talk with the people and tell what the, what is happening in a different way? Being a girl, of course, who helped and and yeah, and, and try to sell this content to, sh- to 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 these softwares. How much poker were you playing yourself at this time? Not much at all. It's it's quite weird because I did uh, like my career was the the other way around. I just knew the rules at the beginning and I, I never played. I mean, I was just doing uh, the pictures and of course I, I knew about poker, but just like playing with friends sometimes or maybe a furrow, <laughs> maybe like one of a, or a couple of tournaments uh, one Sunday, but not, not playing at all. Just even when you were you know, going to the tournaments and you're spending all this time around poker players, but you never really had the interest to you know, sit down and play yourself? No, I was more like yeah, it's it's weird, but yes, I was more interested in in the in the content, and uh, I I really liked that part. Like as I said at the beginning, like of my of my life, I was more like the art person, like mm-hmm. of the family. So I was more interested in like uh, create good videos and new videos and talk different. And I used to, I remember that I used to ask my brother many times to create a very good, I mean, to create good scripts about poker because I knew the rules and just, of course, my experience, but I was not a poker player. Did you, um, did you study art? Like, did you go to an art school? I went to a high school um, with, uh, I don't know how do you say, like orientation, orientated to art. Mm-hmm. And then I did just like a course of photography because I started to work straight away. I finished my high school. So, yeah, that's why I, I didn't have a time because I was always uh, traveling, luckily. So that was the, <laughs> the entire thing that I could do. Yeah. What did you take from that that you... Um... Because I mean, I, I think some people would think of you know, covering covering a poker tournament is not a particularly artistic thing to do. Like it's more like journalism or just showing these are the facts of what happened at at the tournament. What kinds of things were you able to do to to make it a more like creative or or artistic uh, endeavor? Well, if you if you watch my my videos, for example, we did uh, for a couple of years, uh, um, like a, a style of videos called Draw My Life. Yes. Where we I used to. I, I watched the one with uh, Fedor. Yeah, I watched yeah. that one too. It was really cool. Really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I I did that with a friend that helped me because I'm not very good uh, drawing. Uh, that's why I asked about art school. I thought you were doing those drawings. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm more like the creative person. So I used to ask the, like the, 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 these characters about their bios, like the, if they could say something else besides what I can find in, in the, on the internet. And then uh, we did that. And the main thing is that uh, I wanted to do like just creative content, mainly like 
uh, acting, for example, or like I, I tried all my life to avoid like the to avoid maybe interviews or like not not interviews but like the normal normal interviews, just to try to find something else to to share. So that's the way I found. And it was quite hard anyway, because imagine that it's like just poker and it's always the same topic and you have to create all the time like new new content or different or like special. And it's always the same. And it's just that you have to have a good idea all the time. Well, now I have to ask what's wrong with interviews. <laughs> I love interviews. I love, I'm doing an interview. I, li I really like interviews. I think the problem at that time is that uh, this poker size sites were doing that. Mm. So uh, I always, in all my life, I always tried to do something that no one was doing, maybe. Uh, sometimes it, that can change because sometimes some, some content, it's like uh, popular to do. And then you can, you can like wait because at some point that's not going to be popular anymore. And you can do the, that like after, you know, I think it's everything about timing. So at that time was, for example, I remember the poker the poker news where I worked. They were doing lots of interviews. So it was like, okay, I'm not going to the interviews. They have this ready and done and in the region. Well, this is actually part of of how we found you. Was we have not had a lot of people from South America in general on the show, and and we've never had a woman from South America. And so I was asking around. Uh, and Santiago was the one who recommended you to me. Um, but I, you know, I was trying to find someone who had not been interviewed uh, previously, like in on American poker media anyway. And then it turned out you'd already done uh, Chasing Poker Greatness. Yes, yes. I did that podcast. Uh, I think it was one or two years ago. Yeah. You were talking a lot about the pandemic, so I assume it was a, a year or two ago. Wow. Crazy. Yes. I remember that. Uh, so what what finally happened to get you interested in, in playing poker yourself? I think that it's something that's going to happen no matter what, what uh, in the poker world. At some <laughs> point, you're going to be interested. It's like, well, okay, you held out I, for a long time. It's true. But I wanted to, I think, doing the content and, of course, learning through scripts, I started to find the game. I mean, I always liked poker, but in a like strategic way, super interesting. And I wanted to, to learn how to play because all the pictures that I took, everything that I did like during years, I think it was like time to do it. Mm. And one day, yes, I like at I remember it was like 2018 or something like that. Maybe 17, I, I tried to, I started to like read more books and try to like do a, a couple of classes. And then 2018, I said to my brother, okay, I really want to, I really want to study. Uh, can we like study together sometimes what do you recommend to me i started to play online more and i started to play live also uh, small tournaments uh but yes that was like the beginning and i think yeah that was going to happen at some point besides your brother who were the big influences like whose videos were you watching or books you were reading or you know, where were you learning from that's a very tough question because i think i changed a lot during time for example, I remember to watch at the very, very beginning. I don't remember. Mainly, if I have to say the truth, I watched lots of like channels, like random channels outside the poker world, like different content creators, because I wanted to do some like content mm -hmm. in poker, like with the style of like YouTubers, like the 
other other YouTubers. So I didn't watch like a lot of poker tournament, uh, poker poker content at the beginning. And then uh, I, what I I remember most uh, it's that I watched, uh, for example, Lex on Twitch. I watched like more Twitch channels because then I started my Twitch channel than like poker content creators. And now it's I mean. I watch every con poker content. I mean, in, the, in my in my social media, I say because there are many, many, many people doing content, so it's easier. So on your Twitch channel, you have some videos. Uh, I'm gonna see if I can pronounce this correctly. It says coaching uh, solidario. Yeah, is that correct? Is that like a stream where you're studying or you're getting coaching? What what are those videos? Well, we did that every end of the year with uh, two poker players uh, from Spain. We do something very, very interesting is that uh, we have all have different organizations so where we help people. Okay, so it's like solidarity organizations. And uh, every end of the year, what we do is we ask poker players if they want to do the NAVE, an hour of coaching. And then we do like a bid with those hours and people has to offer what they, what they think it's like the best, um, yeah, the, the, what is fair for, to pay for that hour and who offers more get the hour. So we did that with like 100 players plus schools, mainly Spaniards and some like very good players uh, from, for example, you know, uh, Mustafa Kanit, Manik Luzer, um, lots of other players that speak English also. And with all the money we raise, we donate that money to the organizations. So it's amazing. And we did that uh, last, uh, yeah, last month. And we finished all this thing with the stream. And like we put like an, a timer for each one and we read the offers. So that's the coaching solidarity that we did this year. And last year we raised like 30k euros so it was crazy wow. and amazing at the same time because it's like uh it's you can see how much money we can raise in the poker world just doing something helpful because it's like you're getting your hour of coach and at the same time it's like we are working together as a team and it's easy if you if you if you think about it it's easy to to donate in that way so yeah, what's amazing? I I I don't have the the official number yet of this year because we are working on it, but it's yeah for probably more than twenty k again. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Um, just, it's a good idea. Yeah, I just saw the <laughs> name of it and I kind of looked through the video. When I saw the name, I thought it was like you streaming yourself getting coaching or giving coaching to someone because I do see that you have video with other players um in that in that stream but I didn't get a chance to uh really dive into it and also I don't speak Spanish well enough to understand it but I thought maybe mm -hmm. that was like you know one of the ways um that you were getting coaching but this is actually you offering opportunities for your viewers to get coaching that's a really cool, cool thing. Yeah, yeah thank you. I think it's amazing. I, I, it's it's their idea, and they offered me to to participate because they they wanted to to um, have organizations from different parts of the world. So they have one in Spain, another one that's working uh, mainly in Africa, 
and they wanted to do something also in Latin America. And I have an organization, I mean, it's not a official or like by the law, it's like me helping people. But my the name of it's uh, Pone Tu Ficha, that means put your chip. And we do that, we try to uh, raise money and then donate that for different people with different problems. For example, I don't know, we buy um, things for the for the classes for the children that they can't buy to, to, to start the classes, the, the school classes. Then we try to help if we know about the fire, different, different kinds of things. Uh, it's amazing. I think it's the best thing that I could do because it's crazy how much you can help just with, because I know that for some poker players, like 10, 20 or $100 is nothing. It, and I, I, was t- I was tired to see them putting $100 in a slot with all <laughs> It was like, stop doing that. I can take that money and do something better. So yeah, that's why I created this and it worked because they can, they can do, they can, they can donate $100 and it's nothing for, for most of them. Well, that's a really good idea. And I hope that you can send us a link so that we can share with our listeners and hopefully we can give you more donations. Of course. Thank you. I will. I will. We have an Instagram and we, we post pictures every time we do a, a, like a, an act of donation. So yeah, I will. I will. Thank you. I was about to volunteer some coaching of my own, but then I heard that list of people that were doing it already. It was kind of intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, don't not be shy. It's not that you know, it's not that we are just looking for high stakes players. Uh, for example, this year we made a, a, a website where everyone, like anyone, could uh, fill the form to participate, donating an hour. And I mean, some people is like people that play maybe mistakes or, or people that do different things for example if you want to talk about podcasts you can you can like coach about it and it's good because of course you will find someone that's going to be interested actually i am going to do uh, <laughs> my 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 hour thing after this about like uh, content like not poker because i think i'm not like i don't know i'm not prepared to to, to do that but yes, to to do the other part, yeah, for sure. Well, it's another one of those, even if you could do perfectly good poker coaching, it sounds like there's plenty of people doing that already and you probably have more yeah. unique expertise to offer in the, in the content space. Exactly. What, what does your poker career look like now? I mean, what are you playing? How much are you yeah. playing versus doing the content creation, that kind of thing? Okay, so I started uh, my, as I said, yes, 2018. I work, I work with a casino in the region. It's called uh, Enjoy Punta del Este. It's in Punta del Este. Punta del Este is a city in, in Uruguay. Uruguay is super close to Buenos uh, to Argentina, and mainly Buenos Aires because Argentina is very, very big. So Buenos Aires to, to Uruguay, if you cross uh, by boat, it's 40 minutes. So it's super close. And then, uh, yeah, this city is like yeah, one hour more, two well, couple of hours. And they have a very, very, very big casino, very prestigious. And I'm working there as ambassador. I started beginning, uh, yeah, as photographer. I started also as like host for them, like just how can I say, like covering the events, like as hosts. So doing interviews, uh, interviews at, at that time, I started with interviews and then, uh, yeah, mainly creating content during the tournaments. And 
then I lived in Uruguay, so I started to play live tournaments there more because at the beginning it was just content for the big events. And they have, they, they also have now, uh, like winter small tournaments, like $100 buy-in, uh, like three times a week. So I remember, I think it was 2018 or 2019, I, I played like the entire winter there. And that's how I started like to play live. Then I used to play, I was playing, of course, uh, also online uh, during like mainly Sundays because I always played MTTs, so never play cash. And yeah, I started, of course, with uh, low stakes and these tournaments. And then after that, well, the pandemic, of course, I played online, just online. I started to play more um, mid stakes. Now I play more mid stakes. And uh, after the pandemic, I... I, I became an uh, ambassador for them. So I started to play like main events for the first time, like tournaments of like 1K, 1.5K or maybe $500, like bigger tournaments. And I'm still doing that. And yeah, I, I can say that last year I won four ladies events. <laughs> so wow. I think I have to play ladies events. Uh, it's my main thing. And then uh, I played, yeah, I played for the first time the main event at, in the, at the WSOP last, last year. That was amazing. It's crazy to say last year because it's like now, but yes, it's last year. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, mainly I'm mainly playing. So I'm mainly playing doing like events in Uruguay and uh, WSOP. Of course, I don't play. I I just I played that one and I played uh, other tournaments like middle stakes tournaments. And yeah, and and, and online I'm playing middle stakes also. But mainly, main last year I played mainly live. I didn't play too much poker online. So last year, 2023. You went deep in the WSOP women's event down to like the final three tables. What was that experience like? Yes, incredible. It was incredible also because it was my second time playing. And the first time I did a deep run also. I finished 30, I think, or 30, I don't remember. 36. Thir I'm, I'm on your hand in now. Yes, oh, 36. Great. And then 25. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. So it was amazing. It was like, oh my god, I'm doing, I'm going to do this again. I mean, <laughs> make it, make a deep run, at least. And that was, was crazy. Of course, it's the it's the best about poker tournaments. You, like the sweating of like going through the different days and see that you are in the money. Then like people is eliminating and you're not, you're still in. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. I remember anyway. It was it was incredible because I had. I think I had like three blinds and seven blinds at least four times in the tournament. So it was crazy. I was like always dying and then surviving again and then dying. Oh my God, very stressful. And I, I, I have to say this, I'm sorry. I'm going to be like my brother, but yeah, I lost. <laughs> I lost my last hand was a bad bit because I lost like 26 blinds preflop juxt against uh tens i was like wow. no way why now <laughs> so sad but it was amazing incredible that's why i play i think that's why everyone plays poker because of the difference <laughs> at least difference of course if we can win excellent but the difference the difference the, the adrenaline it's unique yes how does poker you know we, we talk about the grind in in poker um but it seems like 
creating YouTube videos or, or Twitch streaming seems more like a grind to me. I mean, poker, you can kind of take time off whenever you want to. It seems like YouTube or, or Twitch really punish you for, for taking time off. Like you, you lose a lot of your audience. Yes. Which one feels more like a, a grind or do you roll your eyes when poker players talk about grinding? Uh, for, for me, for sure, it's the content because, yeah. uh, because I, mainly because I, I'm not, I mean, I play poker, but I would say that I play semi-professional because I, I don't, I don't make my money just with poker. It's a mix, but mainly it's a content. So my focus is always a content. And it's true that I don't know which one is like, it, it depends, of course, if you are a poker, a professional poker player, uh, the, the grind is huge. You have to be playing a lot, the volume, mainly because mainly if you play MTTs, it depends, of course. Uh, but with content, it's true that it's a huge work because every everything you do is going to end in like at least for 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 example, Instagram stories, of course, are twenty four hours dead, and then the the videos that you upload, it's like maybe one week max maximum where people that can see it or like find it uh, in the algorithm again, but then it's old. So you have to be creating content all the time. It's yeah, it's a huge work, and you and and mainly because you have to create something, or at least I want to, I try, I try to get, create something uh, new or different or creative every time. Do you enjoy that that pressure or working at that pace? Uh, yes, I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I think it can be stressful sometimes, but it's like challenging because it's always like, okay, what can I do now? I don't know. It's very um, dynamic. Well, I know a lot of creative people struggle with trying to finish anything you know like people would just have a a novel that they've been working on for 10 years or something yeah. like that and uh, i mean it seems like the youtube forces you to just constantly be finishing something and putting it out even if it's not perfect which is probably a good practice to have as an artist uh, yes uh, i think now it's uh, every time i read about those stories like artists that take like that took for them like million times to end something it's like i laugh because i think today it's impossible you can't do that i mean with the with how the world works you have to be fast it's like the only way so yeah i think it forces to you to yeah to just create in a very quick way or yeah or you are dead probably well outside of poker what kind of art are are you interested in? I mean, do you do you enjoy other kinds of um, photography, for instance? I I love uh, I love paintings. I love uh, art history. In my in my high school, we we studied that a lot. So yeah, I really like to read. I, I like to read mainly. So I read lots of books about uh, art history, uh, mainly that related to art. And then many things. Can, I mean, that you think are not art. Are actually are like quite artistic because it's like because everything creative is related to art I think so I read I really like science and um, astronomy so I used to read a lot about about it and it's crazy because uh, the the way you are you improve as a scientific it's if you create of I mean if you yeah if you create a new theory. And they are very creative. I think we can learn a lot about about scientists. So yeah, I, I used to read those also. And then not many like novels. I'm not a huge fan. I prefer like books that uh, 
can teach you something like in the daily life, but there are some novels very good. So mainly, yeah, I would say mainly reading and about different topics related, yes. And do you read mostly in uh, Spanish or in English? No, everything is Spanish, yeah. Because, I mean, your your spoken English is, is perfectly good. It seems like you, you could... Uh... Oh, thank you. Sometimes, <laughs> I think I read a couple of books, but mainly, mainly in Spanish, yeah. How did you learn English? What did you learn from an early age? I uh, well in in Argentina we have uh, classes since our I mean kindergarten probably or elementary and then uh, high school the same it depends what high school some high schools like have more more hours in the subject and then uh, traveling I would say I when I started to travel because when you're you're studying in a school sometimes it's like you have to do that so you are not like quite super interested. But when you travel, you have to speak a language because you know the way no one is going to understand. So it's the only way you would find to like socialize and yeah, survive. So yeah, I started with that. when I started to travel to, for example, WSOP, it was like all the, every, every trip was like three weeks sharing with uh, English speakers. So that's, that was the way where I learned most. I um I had the idea when I was watching your YouTube channel. I, I've studied a little bit of Spanish. I, I wouldn't say that I speak it, but I thought it would be interesting because you had the English subtitles on there. So I was like, well, maybe I can kind of follow what what she's saying. Uh, and and if I'm also looking at the subtitles, and usually I'm watching something on YouTube at like uh, 1.5 or 2x speed and then i thought well i better i better slow it down for this and i went to change the speed and it was already on one x and i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i know i i spoke very fast in all my videos so i understand yeah i, I had no hope but i did enjoy uh you know the, like i said i saw the um the the draw your life with with fedor probably doyle's is, uh, has had a more interesting life than than fedor's so that might have been the better one to watch but i did think <laughs> you know in, in terms of finding a, a creative way to make um content i've certainly never seen another poker video like that oh thank you yeah i think it was very good because it, it was i mean i didn't create anything new it was just new for the poker world mm -hmm. so that's the i think that's the creative part you maybe you don't have to create something new for, because it's really hard to find something new today but um where you apply that idea that's amazing yeah that can be the the key i think yeah, and that kind of reminds me of what you said about how you're constantly having to create new content, and then some of the old videos kind of just kind of get lost after you know a week or two. But then when yeah. you make content related to people, uh, I think it can kind of come back. So like you made the video about Doll's life six years ago, and it probably, you know, kind of had like a short lifespan then, but then later when he passed, I bet that you got, you know, more views on that old video because like just me looking at it now, we hear so much about his poker life, but to see the drawing of him as a baby just made me smile because like nobody thinks of doll <laughs> as a baby because he's like, you know, this older man in our mind. So to like, you know, see the drawing of him as a baby talking about his family and his like early school days, that was kind of like nice to see. And so I bet a lot of people went back and watched that video after he passed. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That video was crazy. You remind me because he 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 mentioned me in a tweet 
uh, saying thank wow. you. And he was very excited. I have the tweet somewhere. He said, if I could give an, an Oscar to someone, I would give it to you. Thank you for drawing my life. And I was like crying almost like, <laughs> oh my God. Because I remember that for, for that trauma life, I, I just read the super system. The super system has the first part. It's like all his bio. So wow. it was mainly with that and more like an, another things that I found in um, on the internet. But I didn't have, I mean, the, the possibility to, to, to talk with him because it was like years ago and he's a, he was a very big star. So it was amazing when he when he replied to me. I was very very emotional. So yeah, very very, very beautiful video. I love that video. And you're right. Yes, uh, that content never 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 dies. Right. So the more you do interviews and like talk about these things, like I'm sure there there's listeners who haven't heard of Draw My Life, who will go and um, click on your YouTube page and go back and watch all the videos. So in that sense, the videos, even the old videos, they never really die. No, of course. Yeah, I'm right. Do you have people either in the poker world or or just in general that you think of as uh, like heroes or role models? The first people that come to my mind are my parents. I think this is very sensitive. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I don't, I don't have like... Well, I have I, I really like one writer in Argentina that passed away like I don't know maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, I really like him. Like his bio, his name is Ernesto Sabato. It's a very well known writer. I read all his books and yeah, I just do you know when when you like through the through the words of a book you feel like a connection or like something with like that person that was writing uh, was very special for uh, like all my life with my like relationship with his books and then uh yeah i am like more mm, I, I don't know i know i don't have like i really idols idols uh outside my personal life because I, I, something that I learned is that you never know about like people that you see maybe. I mean, you can see that if they are talent or if they have a very good career. But sometimes you, I mean, you, know, you don't know at, at the end how they are like as, peop, as people, you know, mm -hmm. like their personalities or their personal life or they, I don't know. I think, uh, I think for example, in the world, some people can show their the best face of the best part of their lives but they are not maybe very good people so that's why i find it quite hard to, to, to say this this person is my idol i can admire careers but to admire like an, a, a person like entirely i think it's harder so yeah i would say like my parents and also i work uh, in my organization with a girl she is uh, she lives in a neighborhood it's uh, super like really poor and she is always helping her people like her neighborhood neighbors and trying to find like if someone needs something like trying to knock doors and find uh, like the way to help that person i think that's incredible that's the, that's what i admire like solidarity in that way when you don't have and you also like you're in anyway you are like pure soul that you want to help someone else that's the that those are the, the the values that i admire like to say that if someone is can be like my idol it's a very weird answer i'm sorry but yeah that's the answer i think <laughs> it's, a, it's a great answer and i think it's very wise and um yeah 
like that 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 was impactful for me to hear so thank you oh thank you well thank you so much yeah i think it's that mainly mainly because uh, when you when you work in a place like we where we work like the book world you're like more more close to like very talented people and maybe super wealthy people and i think that's how i like being close to many or that many like different people kind of i realized this the the part that we never know their personal lives because sometimes it's like quite surprising you know right. you think they are in a in an x way like they way to yeah their personalities and they're not so it's quite hard yes i feel like uh social media or twitter in particular has really changed the way that i think about some people that uh yes whether they <laughs> were true. idols or just like you said you, you have an idea in your head of, of someone and then uh, either you see something that they say or sometimes i'll just look like if, if i see uh, a different account you know a, a really big twitter account that i'd never heard of that posts something that i that strikes me as very uh know, obnoxious or, or rude or insensitive or something like that um or just dumb and then look and see who's following them and then you start to notice a pattern over time and you're like oh this this guy follows a lot of really toxic people this uh, yeah that's true and this happens a lot it's like frustrating sometimes it's like really that person but yeah it's true <laughs> it's happening a lot now and and it's something really new because back in time to like knew someone like better, it took lots of time, so a lot of time or, or at least like a cup. I don't know, I don't know how much coffee is, you know. And <laughs> uh, now it's like you can see who that person is following, and then you can maybe it's too much to say that you can guess how it is, but you can have an idea. Yeah, and and that's what it is. I mean, and and it's like. There's sometimes you maybe you're just follow like you know a lot of people follow uh, Donald Trump just for the drama or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you notice yeah. the pattern over time, and you're like, every single time I click one of these, it's always the same three or four people following them, and then okay, well this is there's a pattern here. Yeah, yeah, completely right. Yeah, that's sad, but it's true. <laughs> Uh, well, if we want to end on a on a happier note, uh, is there anything that you would uh, recommend to to people? I know you mentioned some authors before, but um, favorite books, favorite movies, favorite uh, music, things that you would encourage people to uh, explore. I always say the same. It's quite cliche, maybe, but I remember it was amazing for me. My the first time I read uh, Cosmos from Karen Sagan. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you pronounce it. <laughs> Maybe I'm not pronouncing it very well. I, I would say Sagan, but I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, uh, Sagan. Yeah, great. I mean, it was amazing for me. Once uh, I remember I read uh, Cosmos for the first time and I was like delighted with the, with all like the history of the world and how it works and all the like, all what we were, I don't know, uh, discovering uh, through time the time so i would say that book is very very good and it can be like changing so that's why i recommend that book every time i i can because it's yeah it's beauty of life and i love this have you read um i think the author's name is james glyke g-l-e-i-c-k um he wrote like he wrote a book called chaos he wrote one called the information um He's another, I mean, I wouldn't say he's like as good as, as Carl Sagan, but he's also yeah. like a, a science communicator or mathematics communicator. Uh, I think he might be up your alley as well. I think I didn't. So I'm going to. 
yeah, I'm very interested with all the all the, the, the kind of uh, topics. Um, what about just if, if people wanted to uh, know or understand better about uh, Argentina? Um, is there anything that you <laughs> I would have recommend? to laugh? Sorry, because it's like everyone wants to. I think I really want to understand Argentina, and I can't. I think no one can. It's impossible. So it's no way. I don't know. I mean, as uh, I'm talking about, of course, politics, because we are completely crazy. Yeah, I, I, was, I was trying now. to ask that in, in like a roundabout way, but yeah. Oh my God, so sad. But yeah, I think not that America has a lot of room to criticize right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it's so sad. But I think it's it, I would prefer to to recommend them just to maybe visit the country and enjoy how beautiful it is because this is a very beautiful country with ma many amazing landscapes. People is really friendly, and I would say that because yeah, if you try to understand like how with this country works no one knows not even uh, not even me so yeah it's quite hard but uh it's worth it i think it's a very beautiful place to to visit well thank you for sharing your story with us was there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten around to no it was amazing it was amazing to talk with you uh pleasure and nothing else of course um so i'll, I'll link the uh, the social media stuff that you gave me in, in the show notes but do you want to tell people now uh where they can find you on um different platforms uh, sure it's my name it's pamela Valsano, and i used to be pamsi in social media so if you type pamsi you are going to find me anyway and yeah i have a tiktok i have instagram and in, in my instagram i i post mainly like content when I am um, traveling in, uh, to different live events. Uh, so it's more like live content. And then TikTok has uh, videos because now you know that we have to create TikToks <laughs> because it's the way. And yeah, I'm not creating content in YouTube anymore. Uh, just sometimes, like sometimes I mean once a year. So maybe it's not the best, the best platform to follow me. And then, yeah, on Twitter, I'm mainly a reader. So, yeah, I think uh, Instagram and TikTok and Twitch also. Sometimes I, I stream on Twitch. You can find me with my name, Pamela Valsen. Thanks very much. It was lovely getting to know you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This is great. Take care. Take care. of a car and the light of the fair passage of a bill and who will sign us into law I know you want